Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Now, today's episode is one that I'm especially excited for you to hear because it is with my friend Clay Levitt from Marcus, Iowa. Now, Clay is someone that I met about a month back in Dallas, Texas, and we were at a sales workshop together and we instantly connected. We actually had a lot of heated discussions, I guess you could call them, about how to run a business, how to set sales goals, how to organize teams and motivate people to win. And we had this amazing weekend together in Dallas. And as we got deeper into our conversation, Clay runs a a fourth generation family business out of Marcus, Iowa in the LBM industry. Now, LBM stands for Lumber and Building Materials. And whether you know it or not, fireplaces are actually included in that. And so Clay runs this home center in Iowa that sells everything from lumber to sheetrock to trusses to cabinets. And guess what? They have fireplaces but they don't push him. So we got into this huge conversation about how he has to get into fireplaces. It's the best thing since sliced bread. And he's telling me how I'm crazy. There's no way people can just sell fireplaces for a living as if that wasn't a real job. So a little while ago, Clay sent me an email that had a bunch of questions about different elements of my business. And he was such an awesome person to meet with such a unique voice. I said, hey, you know what? Instead of me responding to your email, how about you come on the podcast and let's just have a conversation about this with our audience out there. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. These are questions that are truly from a fireplace skeptic. But what I want you to listen to is that a lot of the same concerns that he faces are what we face too in our space. And I think it's amazing to be able to look across the aisle and see there's actually a lot of common ground that we have with other businesses. So I hope that this gives you tremendous value and I'm going to play this conversation of ours for you. Joining me from Marcus, Iowa is the owner and vice president of sales for Marcus Lumber. On the show today is Clay Levitt. How you doing, Clay? Hey, Tim. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm really excited about this conversation. I got to preface this, that me and Clay met at Bradley Hartman's Sales Fundamentals Workshop in Fort Worth, Texas about a month ago. And I mean, I'd say from the beginning that, uh, that sparks flew. I mean, we kind of we clashed. We had some intense conversations. I mean, what was, that, what was that experience like meeting me? It was. I tell you, I was, you go to an event that encompasses a lot of the LBM industry, which I had to explain to you what those <laughs> uh, letters meant. And I was expecting to team up or pair up with some plaid wearing, uh, cowboy boots, bearded LBM dealer. But instead, I, uh, I found some dude with super nice clothes and a really nice haircut. Um, <laughs> and I was halfway expecting uh, a little different outcome, but we, uh, we had some awesome conversations. Uh, I think it's uh, awesome what you're doing with this podcast. And it just amazes me how you have any time to uh, enjoy any other part of your life as much time as you put into this, Tim. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, time time is a, it's a, it's a commodity that we all get the same amount of. But I'll tell you, 
for me, as I as I didn't think this would be a conversation about time, but uh, <laughs> I just have to I just have to audit really hard the stuff that's important to me. So obviously, like family comes first, no question. And uh, right. and I, I kind of find that if I put the big rocks in place first, as Stephen Covey says, the gravel of life just kind of fills in the spaces. Yeah. Well, so uh, one of the things when when we first met, so so we first met at the bar of the hotel, it was the Omni in Fort Worth. And I went to order a beer, and I will never forget your reaction to something I thought was totally normal. You know, they asked what kind of beer I wanted, and I said, do you guys have a blonde on tap? And you you could not believe it. I could not believe it. What was going through uh... your head? Yeah, I wasn't sure at first. I couldn't. I couldn't stop staring at your hair, to be honest with you, Tim, and how <laughs> immaculate it was. But uh, I was thinking like some long-legged blonde was going to come up behind the bar or something. I wasn't sure what you were getting at. I just want. I wanted a, you know. I wanted a nice light beer. I didn't want some like domestic thing that sucks. <laughs> like I wanted a nice light beer that had a little bit of body to it from a yes. good local brewery. Right, and there I am ordering a Budweiser. So I mean, there's there's a difference between you and me, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and and this is funny. You know, we got into it. We got into a, a, a heated discussion that first night about how to set up comp structures for your team. <laughs> and I mean, I felt like the sparks were flying. I mean, we went we went on like probably a, a mile walk to get barbecue food, talking yes. slash arguing the whole way. We talked right. slash argue the whole way through our dinner, and then right. we ended up calling up one of my team members at like <laughs> ten o'clock at night our time to. <laughs> <laughs> for you to ask questions about is this actually a real thing <laughs> well it's uh yeah i have to give you kudos uh, uh it sounds like your team and i know that uh, your management style and your team do very well it's just um it was refreshing i guess to talk to somebody that had been as passionate about their business uh and their work as what i am uh so it was it was awesome those couple days we were out bradley's sales training well i i'm telling you i got i got more out of it than you did hearing about the stuff <laughs> that you're doing at, at marcus uh, lumber and being able to just talk to people that are in a similar space but a different market i, I mean I, and even since then i've been taking a ton away from our relationship now one thing i thought was so funny when we started talking <laughs> is you could not believe that i sold just fireplaces <laughs> That's true. That's true. I didn't think that was like a real job, to be honest with you. I mean, you literally made fun of me the entire time <laughs> at the conference about he's not a real sales. <laughs> he only sells fireplaces. Well, it was between that and your backpack, Tim. <laughs> so I kind of had to choose, right? Yeah. It is. It's super difficult. It was hard to wrap my head around being that product specific because our sales staff has to sell everything from the sill plate to the doorbell. Yeah, so talk about what everything that you guys sell. You're in, I, LBM stands for Lumber and Building Materials. Clay, what what do, what do you sell specifically at your job? Um, so we would classify ourselves more as a uh, home center than we will a lumberyard, just from the standpoint of we have about uh, twenty thousand square foot of showroom. So um, we're selling everything from sticks of lumber, sheet goods, sheetrock, shingles. You know the the basic lumber and building materials, and then we go into carpet, flooring, uh, kitchen cabinets, countertops, electrical, plumbing, heating, doors, windows, millwork, um, window blinds, shades, things like that too. Now, and I want to get this on the table. Despite <laughs> all this stuff that you sell. Do you have the ability to sell fireplaces? Uh, yes. Yes, we do, Tim. Okay. Uh, we have a couple fireplaces on our show floor. Uh, it is just something we haven't spent – we haven't prioritized our time 
There you go. But we we talked about this. I mean, this is this is the reason I wanted you to, to come on to the podcast. Is I mean, the title of this is Questions from a Fireplace Skeptic. And right. I mean, my hope in this conversation is maybe I can, you know, kind of push it down the field a little bit because, Clay, this is the literally the multi-million dollar question is, why don't you invest in fireplaces? <laughs> well, Tim, uh, I think right now, uh, I re- well, first off, I really do enjoy the margins that we can make on a fireplace. Uh, I don't think that we're set up quite yet as far as the installation of fireplaces. Um, and we just don't, we just didn't jump in both feet so far. Uh, I think product knowledge is a struggle for us. Um, and, and to be honest with you, there's just so much more on the LBM side that we're trying to cover. It's hard to hard to cross over to that. Yeah, but Clay, the reason I'm so excited to have you on, you sent me an email the other day that was so awesome because we've been going back and forth about business stuff and asking things of each other. And, and you sent me this email with like 25 questions. And I was like, let's pause this. <laughs> Come onto the podcast as a guest and let's have this conversation. So we are going to flip the tables and this is going to be a true fireplace skeptic that uh, gets to this gets to grill me and I hope I represent our industry well. I know you represent the industry well. I think that part of the questions I'm going to ask more than likely don't have a whole lot to do with fireplaces, but more to do with maybe sales, sales training. I feel bad uh, most of what you've already covered in past podcasts probably encompasses some of this, but um, we struggle daily with uh, sales training and um, and hopefully you as an expert can kind of help everybody understand kind of what you do and, and how we can grow together, not only in the LBM side, but fireplace side too. So for us, a major frustration in training a new team member is problem solving. Okay. How, how, and that's a huge part of what we do on a day-to-day basis. So how do you, as a sales manager, try to teach or uh, give examples of problem solving? So because we're in the lightning round here, and I know there's going to be a bunch more questions, I could talk for hours about this. I'm going to defer to an example that Dave Ramsey gives that is the best one I know of, and he calls it the rope. And it's just like in parenting that... When your kids are little, there's a rope that you have one end and they have the other end. When your kids are little, the rope is very short and it's very easy to reel it back in. As they start to gain more and more competency, you start letting out more of the rope. And I think it's the same approach with your sales team. So what I would do is I set up guiding principles or core values. So say you've got three core values or four core values for your team. Maybe, you know, in our case, you know, number one for us is safety. Number two is over-communicate. Number three is make it easy. So those are three guiding principles that as long as the team is using those to make their decision, I trust their judgment. Now, as they're a newer team member, I'm, I'm going to give them less and less of the rope. So I may not give them our best account and say, well, hey, go problem solve this situation. But if there's someone in the showroom that's an upset retail customer and it's just a, a, a single job or a small job, I'm probably going to say, okay, you got the three core values. What's the decision that you're going to make? As long as you can justify it satisfying the core values, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, okay. So then how do you how do you deal with accountability at that point in time? I realize your core values are something your company set up, but how do you deal with accountability of saying this problem was not solved correctly or you solved this problem and it still led to another problem? How, how do you deal with the accountability aspect of it, Tim? Well, I think that that's honest, transparent conversations and it goes back to what are the expectations that were set. So if, if you believe in your core values and you believe that your three or four core values 
are a good enough barometer to trust decision-making, then as long as they can justify how it satisfied the core values, I think you live with the decision. Even if there's ramifications to it, you can then step in as the leader to help coach the rest of the way what's going to happen. But I think that it's just a conversation of, hey, you know, I understand that you thought this satisfied the core values. What if you thought about it from this angle? And, and, and put it back on them. And I really think it goes back to if they can justify it by the core values that you as the leader have set up, I think you got to live with the decision making. Okay. So as far as your core values, those are core values your business set up for you, correct? No. So or our business have- actually has different core values than that. The, the three that we've set up for my team, and it goes back to a mission statement. So yeah. we help families in our community stay warm and safe. That's our mission statement. That's what, that's what we do. But that's governed by three core values, you know, number one being safety. Safety comes first before anything else. After safety, number two is over-communication. And the reason is that we find 99% of the issues that we have come down to communication. And I, I always joke around with my team that I, I pray to God that at some point, if Donald Trump decides he wants to lock up all the over-communicators, I pray that they have enough evidence to convict everybody on my team. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want is... is the point being over communicate yep. with your customers. Once you've right. done that, then make it easy. So, so I, I, we were really intentional with those. And I believe that number one, if we're keeping the customer safe, number two, we're communicating every step of the way. And number three, at all times, we are trying to make it easy, both for the customer and for our installers and for the inspector that's going out for everybody involved. Then I trust the decision-making process. But going back to your point, those were core values that that we set up for our team because of our unique role within the company. Right. And that's something we're fighting with right now is we believe that we should have a set of core values and a mission statement. It's just very hard. Number one is because of four generations of, of the Levitt family of what every generation wanted it to be. Yep. You know, uh, we're trying to think of what every generation wanted it to be. And then moving forward with an idea that the next generation or the future generations can live by that too and keeping it somewhat relevant, but keeping everybody involved in that the core values uh, and keeping it short and sweet, right? You don't want to have core values that are 10 things long. No. And that's where I feel like the mission statement, and this is a nod to a company called story brand out of Nashville, Tennessee, is that your mission statement has got to be short enough that everybody in the company knows it. You know, circling back to problem solving, if you, if you don't give people the opportunity to fail, they're never going to learn. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of the time where my team members have made the wrong call. And we've had to have a tough conversation about, Look, this is something that you should have caught and you missed it. This was not in line with the core values. You know, maybe in an aspect right. an aspect of safety of you didn't do the research that you needed to before selling this. That's not safe for the customer. So we gotta have a tough conversation about accountability because you didn't fall back to the core value. You still have to have hard conversations in that, but when you can point to the core values which set the expectation, that makes it to where people can learn and grow. And they're going to make mistakes, but you just have that mm-hmm. accountability conversation. And as they go down the path, hopefully they don't make that same mistake twice. Right, right. So having those tough conversations, obviously you being in your middle 30s and having a group of salespeople around you that are probably all similar aged, if not older than you, how do you go about having those hard conversations with people of the same age or if not older than you, given they may have more experience than yourself? Well, I'll tell you, as a young leader, that has been the biggest struggle that I've had over the last five years. Because the people on my team range from 10 years younger than me to, until a little while ago, 40 years older than me, actually 45 years older than me. He retired recently. And for a long time, I was very self-conscious about that because I'm the kind of leader that wants to be 
on good terms with people and friends. But what I've been learning about leadership is that to be a leader, it means you have to walk a lonely path sometimes. And so the way that the way that I address tough conversations is number one, always in private, never, never in public. So always in private. And I try to come right out. I'm not one for small talk. So I'll try to come right out and say, hey, this has been something that has really taken a toll on our team and and we got to address it as a leader. If I don't bring this to your attention, then I'm not serving you. Can we talk about this situation now? Mm -hmm. Because with my team members, we do monthly one-on-ones and then usually every other week we have some kind of a sales meeting. It's not uncommon that, that we have conversations about things like this. It's a lot tougher if you don't have sales meetings to come out of left field and all of a sudden have a hard conversation that has helped us having a regular cadence of meetings. Tim, on a da- you're not actively involved in daily selling though, right? I mean, you as a sales leader or manager are not also doing the same job that your sales team is doing at this time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And the way that I look at it, uh, my good friend Tim Rethlake, who's been on the podcast, he's talked about how a salesperson's role is to shine, a sales leader's role is to illuminate. And those are two different muscles to flex. And I look at it like a, like a football team. So my role is to be the offensive coordinator up in the skybox looking at the field, helping to direct the people that are, that are in play. I think that you got to have credibility to where the team knows that you can do what they do. That's the only way to be an expert in it, to get their respect, to be a leader. But mm-hmm. I do believe a leader's job is to be up in the skybox looking at, okay, what's the strategy here? How are we executing this play? And it's very tough to get that perspective when you yourself are the quarterback on the field. So how as that offensive coordinator job, how do you not pick a, a favorite salesman or in this case, a quarterback and a receiver combination? How do you not play a little bit of, hey, this guy is my go-to. This guy is my workhorse. Let's funnel all everything to him and leave the guy that maybe isn't quite as good over here just to get whatever's left. You know, how do you divide that workload? That's a great question. And I think, to be honest, you're always going to have favoritism. And I think it's best just to own it. So, yeah. I, so I think that with your team members, like with my guys, for instance, there's certain people that specialize in certain types of fireplaces. Now, you wouldn't believe this, Clay, but there's different kinds of fireplaces. <laughs> that, you know, that I, I wasn't going to say anything. Well, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. But yes. Okay. So, yep. so because the different team members have different skill sets, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to throw leads to the person that I believe is most competent to handle it based on their workload. So if I've mm-hmm. got someone that could excel at this kind of a job and their workload can handle it, I'm probably going to give it to them. And and there is some favoritism there because they're the more competent person to do it. Now, the people that aren't quite as competent in those areas, my role for them is, hey, look at all these leads that this person's getting. What if I can help train you to get that competency where I can start to throw you leads like this? I want to do that as a leader but laying my cards on the table right now, those leads are going to someone else. So I think that some of that favoritism is always there. And the truth of the matter is I look at my team members like my kids, like you love them all. And, And each one of them has different strengths and weaknesses. But I think that addressing with transparency that certain people have more competencies than other ones and just be honest with, well, they're getting more leads because they show, they've shown that they can handle it and you haven't. I'd love to work with you to train you up in what you need so you can handle it. Right. So then on, in a sales meeting setting, are you going through workloads as far as how much quoting one has to do or how much measuring one has to do and try to divvy that up so it's a little more equal? 
at the sales meetings or what's your expectations for your sales staff as far as like a one to 10 scale of how busy they are? Yeah. Where would you like to see them at? Well, that's a great question. And, and we have a really simple system that is green, yellow, red. I'm going to go back to Tim Rethlake again. I feel like he should be here in this conversation. And it's just simply green, yellow, red. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to check people's pulses on how's your workload now? Are you green, yellow, or red? And I want them to be in the yellow. If they, if they tell me, hey, I'm red, what I will try to do is I'll try to pull the e-brake on my stuff and I'll come alongside them and say, why are you red? What do you have? Can I come alongside? Can we offload some of these projects to other people to get you back down to yellow? Now, what happens some of the time is they're not red. They, their, their stress level makes them feel like they are, but when we actually sit down and look at it, they're not. And so, <laughs> so green, yellow, red, it's, it's, it's arbitrary. It's, it's, a, it's a judgment call that they have to make, but what it does is it opens up a conversation to where if they tell mm-hmm. me they're red, I'm going to start coming alongside them to say, okay, if you are actually red, let's start to offload some of this. And some of the time it's, well, you're actually not red. You're just stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And overall you are just selling fireplaces, That's right? right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, we talked about expectations of workload, but what are your expectations of and process of once you do get a salesman hired, Tim, tell me a little bit about the expectations, do they have to have a college degree? Do they have to go through a probational period of three months, six months? Do they have to go work out in the warehouse first? How how does that all take place in your guys' world? That's a really good question. So we don't have expectations as far as a college degree goes. I mean, as, as you might guess, Clay, you know, not that many people are just jumping into the fireplace industry <laughs> left and right. And, 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 you know, and I think it's okay. You know, some of the bigger manufacturers require a college degree. For me personally, I think that there is becoming less and less and less value in a degree. I think that the, the entire college system is significantly flawed with people who are basically buying business degrees so they can play beer pong for four years. <laughs> and and so if I get someone with a degree that can use it all in, I will absolutely hire them over someone that doesn't have a degree, but we don't have any requirement as far as having a college degree. So that being said, our interview process is, is long. And actually I've had sales team members get mad at me because they think it's too long, but I really try not to hire someone without at least four to six interviews. And, wow. and they're with me, they're with different people in the company. I try to do times where they come in. I try to go get a cup of coffee with them. I'm really concerned in the interview process about the kind of person they are. So the short answer is that we hire for character and we train for skill. What are you seeing, Tim, for workforce availability? And how do we get younger generations interested in our industries? You know, we are seeing very, very little availability of, of trained workers. So anyone that comes into us, generally speaking, has no experience in our industry and they're young. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have to grow people. I mean, I think that there's a, there's a blue collar crisis in our, in, in, our, in our nation right now. Because there's a shortage of trade workers, we have to grow them. And so our onboarding process becomes crucial. On my sales team, my onboarding process is, the initial part is 30 days long, it's extremely regimented. We joke around that, you know, even your bathroom breaks are going to be scripted out. But the whole thing <laughs> with it is that in the first 30 days, we focus very little on specific product. It's all about welcome to our company. 
We'd like to have you understand how our company works. We'd like to show you how our company can help you win. And then we want to dive deep into the why. How do we do our sales? Why do we care about the customer this way? What's our philosophy of how and why we do what we do? After 30 days, then we're going to start to jump into the product-specific training, sending them out with installers. And, and I'm not perfect at this. I'm still working on evolving this process as we speak. But we've had a lot more success than failure in the in the sales team because of the way that we do our onboarding. Right. And then so how do you take that the next step and retain those people? I'll give you a really simple answer. <laughs> we pay them a commission and we don't cap it. Hmm. Not satisfied with that, Tim. <laughs> um, all right. So changing gears a little bit to a more of a personal question, but I've listened to your podcasts. Um, I listened to Bradley Hartman's. Um, and I, I, how does one become better at asking good questions? You know, that's a super tough question to, to answer, but I mean, how does one become more, um, I don't want to say educated, but you know, one that can ask more relevant questions? That's a really interesting question. And I've never thought of myself as a good question asker. I think, I think for me, having a genuine interest in people and a genuine interest in business and ideas goes so far. Like for me, I really want to be a lifelong learner and I'm always looking to consume content, whether it's a podcast or a book, because I'm just, I'm fascinated by ideas. And so Mm -hmm. like when I get to meet you, I start putting myself in your shoes and I start thinking about, well, wait, okay, what would I do if I was in Clay's shoes over at Marcus Lumber? (laughs) Here's the question that I'd probably be asking. Yeah, drive off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I, I think that, I think that for me, it just comes down to showing a genuine, genuine interest in other people and thinking about how, how can I help them win? I think, I think that if that, that's been my approach for the podcast is how can I help the audience win? You know, if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm talking to you, like I really genuinely care about how you're running your business and what you're doing. And so I ask questions based on, well, what if, if I was your customer, what kinds of questions would I ask you? You know, if I was, if I was working for you, what kinds of questions would I be asking you? If I was sure. you, a fourth generation business owner working with other family members that are owners, what kinds of questions would I be asking? I don't know if that's a great answer, but I think, I think it comes down to showing a genuine interest in other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So you mentioned reading books and uh, I was – my mother was a school teacher and she really pounded us into knowing you know, grammar, reading, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I re- was raised that way but I kind of fell off the bandwagon I guess. I don't do a lot of reading right now besides trade magazines. I listen to a lot of podcasts but what do you get, Tim, personally from reading and how do you retain that knowledge and how do you use that knowledge in your daily life if not business life? You know, I think that reading is something that's really undervalued. What, what, I, what I love about reading is that it's very intentional. That when you're reading, you have to have your attention on it. You have to have your focus on it. And I think that that's like a supercharged engine. A podcast is amazing. And I listen to a ton of podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. But if I'm being honest, I listen to those things when I'm not focused on it. I listen to those yeah. when I'm in the car, when I'm driving, if I'm going for a run, working out. When I read, I got to set aside like time and I really got to, if I'm going to read it, it it better be good because I'm setting aside hard time and I'm focusing everything I have on it. So I think that there's something to that with how distracted we are. I think that focus is really the key to winning in business. And so the more that we can attack problems intentionally, 
is the way to win. And, and reading is a very intentional thing. Now, for mm-hmm. me right now, just being honest, my life is crazy. I've got a lot of irons in the fire. I've got travel for work. Anyway, you got on the list. of There's a lot yes. of stuff that's going on in my life. So my time to read is significantly less than it was a year and a half ago. So my time to read is usually 30 minutes in the morning. And if I'm lucky, 15 to 30 minutes at night. And that's right. a lot different than when I used to have two hours on a Saturday just to flip open a book. But I got kids. I've got all mm-hmm. these things in my life. So I really cherish my reading time. And I'm very selective with what I read because of that. Right. So that's a good point. I mean, as busy as your life is, and I'm assuming most of your uh, podcast listeners' lives, how do you manage your time? How do you uh, not get burnt out? I mean, going 100 miles an hour all the time, at some point in time, the results over the expectations are becoming off balance, I would think. Correct? So how do you, how do you manage that? And then how do you take a break from it, shut it off, and then start it back up again? Well, the way that my brain works is I'm very passionate and energetic and that's a blessing and a curse. And so one of the things that I have to guard is my natural propensity is if something's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So I really got to be careful about that. For me, it comes down to, when you ask about time, it comes down to structure. It comes down to discipline. So I, you know, every, I've got a day planner where I, I map out my days. I map out what are the tasks I need to do? What are the, the biggest priorities that come before the lesser priorities and carving out time blocks to do that stuff. Now, sometimes it blows up in my face and I'm, I don't, I'm not able to get through all the things I need to in a day, but every day is attacked with discipline, starting with my morning routine. When I get to the office, when I get home, you know, even though I feel like I'm a fairly disciplined person, I can waste time like the best of them. I mean, I really, I really can. And so, right. and so I find that the things I've just, I've tried to choose the most important things over the, the easier things in my life. And sure. that's, and that's helped me be able to balance a, a lot of things. Now, the next year and a half to two years of my life is going to be condensing all the irons mm-hmm. that I have in the fire. Now, I haven't had to do that yet, but that is going to be the next two years of my life is starting to quit things and say no to things where right now I'm in a little bit of a different phase. So I think it comes down to what's the most important thing to you. And as I audit my life, the most important thing to me is I want to be the best dad that I can to my family. I want to be the best husband to my wife. And if I want to do those things, then there's going to be other parts of my life I got to say no to, which probably means like watching a bunch of Netflix (laughs) Or, I mean, you know, honestly, or like going to get casual beers with friends after work. To get a blondie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's hard decisions that you have to make. So, so I think it comes down to discipline. It comes down to auditing your time and being ruthless with what are the biggest priorities in your life. And if it's not a big priority, you say no to it. Well, obviously, the priority for you is to become a coach, I would think, or a uh, a better sales leader. But that what drives you to that point, Tim? I mean, what you personally on that level? I mean, is it the idea that you could eventually someday own your own business, or is it the idea that someday you're going to be a sales coach or a personal coach, or what drives you? You know, I I think about the word blessing a lot, and a lot of people talk about how blessed their life is. Like, you know, if you're on Instagram, you'll see people that post something and they'll put like hashtag blessed. The way that I look at blessing is I I really believe that, that I've been given a skill set by God and that blessing to me is for the sake of other people. 
And so any amount of blessing that I've been given comes with a responsibility to pour that out for the sake of others. And that's what right. drives me. And I, and I think it's our responsibility to be a steward of the blessing we've received for the sake of other people. And that's what drives me is I want to be faithful to that. And then going back to the earlier comment you made about saying no, I find that to be super difficult in my own life. I find that super difficult for our sales team. Uh, when a customer calls in, they want somebody to meet them after hours. The, the conversation always leads to, oh, just one more sale, one more sale, you know. Um, and that leads into saying no is hard to do. How do you do it? But also firing a customer. Um, yeah. We do a lot of uh, contract business, and sometimes that can be very difficult for uh, for a younger salesman where they're constantly abusing or using him. But have you ever had an instance where you've had to fire a customer per se or say no to a customer with the result being the end of, of doing business together? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've had it at different stages. I, you know, An example would be we had a customer in the showroom one time that we were going to write them up an estimate and we asked for their address and they said they wouldn't <laughs> give it to us. And we said, well, you know, we, we need the address just in case there's a trip charge or we need to know where you live, what the distance is. And, and it's our policy. We, we got to have an address to write up an estimate. And the guy goes, fine. My address is 123 Main Street. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at him. I said, hey, look, you know, if we don't have a level of trust between each other, we're not, we're not, this isn't going to be a good fit. Right. And, and we want to do business with you. But, but if there's not a, a level of, of basic trust, I think we should probably go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy said, fine. And he left. We never saw him again. Right. I don't lose sleep over that. No, at the end of the day, he obviously was not your customer to begin with, right? Fair to say? Yep. And that's something that's very hard to uh, teach um, for us is knowing what your customer base is and uh, understanding how people buy. But Tim, um, you you talk a lot about making it stupidly simple or stupidly easy <laughs> for customers <laughs> to buy from you. Is that something that you're teaching along with your core values? I mean, like you have the seven steps, which seems like an awful lot of steps in your sales process. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. how, how do you – fireplaces in my mind are somewhat simplistic. But I mean, how do you go – how can you say that? I mean, what steps are you telling your people to make it that much easier? You know, that's been kind of the ethos of, of the way that – I run my team. And so we talk about it a lot. We have the, the team has like a weekly sheet that they look at that kind of gives them their tasks for the week. And literally on it is make it so stupid, easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. So I think it's the ethos of what we do. And, and it, it's, you know, in meetings, we'll talk about, hey, the way that this is being explained, does that make it easy for a customer to understand? Mm-hmm. What, what would be maybe a way to explain that that might make it a little bit easier for them to understand what you're saying? It goes into our sales process. So you mentioned our seven-step sales process. And we haven't talked about that much on the podcast, but it's really simple. You know, Step one is greet the customer. Step two is understand their problem. Step three, advise a solution. Step four, make a plan. Step five, call to action. Step six, pursue. And step seven, show gratitude. And we can get into the ins and outs of that, but it's... Were you, were you reading that? <laughs> no, no. Oh, oh okay. I've, I've, I've said that a few times, though. Yeah, all right, yeah. The I... whole thing is that in everything we do, we want to make it simple. So right now, we're having conversations about what's the signage in our showrooms that customers see. Our manufacturer's brochure is actually helpful to them. Could we make a brochure better than the manufacturer that actually explains things in a way that is simpler for a customer to grasp? So I would say that it's something that's talked about at every level, from like the signage in the showrooms to 
the order of events that happen when a customer's in a showroom to the way that we go out to customers' houses to measure up a fireplace and provide that final confirmation to the actual way that we explain things. It's, it's just the ethos of everything we do. If you tell any one of my team members what's Tim about, they're going to roll their eyes and say, he's about making it simple. <laughs> that was a good answer. Now, making it simple for the end user is one thing, but do you find that it makes it more complicated and more stressful for your sales team? Absolutely. Yeah. So how, so to, for us, and I'm assuming your, your, your people are the same way, but we get inundated with, besides phone calls, text messages, emails, yeah. all sorts of different communicational apps. How do you control that, Tim? How do you monitor that? I mean, that's just a, by salesman, uh, salesman by salesman, or do you try to monitor that as far as like, hey, you know, no text, we can't take any orders by text or by emails. They have to be done by a contractual phone call, or how does that work? Most of the work that we're doing on my team is with retail customers, yeah. and so everything is contract-based. So there's no order without a the proper signed proposal and documentation with that. Communication, sure. hey, whether it's text, email, Instagram, Facebook, I don't care. You know, That's up to the salesperson to manage. But we do have hard and fast guidelines of the, there's got to be a signed contract before anything else happens. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we find that it's that uh, that communication, obviously, and and the way everybody wants their information anymore is immediate. So we may have a salesman who is out on the show floor with a couple for two hours. He gets back to his desk. He's got you know fifteen text messages from from guys wanting either a product or b answers to his two questions, and uh, then pretty soon you know they're getting they're getting agitated because he wasn't very quick in responding in reality is, yeah, dude, just pick up the phone and call the office. That's a great point. And I think that the answer there is setting expectations with your customers. Mm-hmm. So if you can set the expectation at whatever whatever your initial meeting or your second meeting with that customer is, set the expectation of communication. Right. Hey, just so you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I work in the showroom four days a week. There's one day where I'm out in the field checking on jobs. And if I'm with a customer, I may not be able to take your call, but I return every voicemail by five o'clock at the end of the business day. I do my absolute best to return text messages within two hours. Is that going to be an okay standard of communication for you? Sure. No, that's good. That's a good point. So leading into that, then one of the other questions I was going to ask you was, we, we provide every sales member with a phone, company-issued phone. What should their voicemail recording be? Oh, you know, it's there's so many different ways that, that you can go. <laughs> I think that if you can, you should make it a little bit witty and it should be something that's a little bit different. And I go back to, you know, Tim Rethlake from, from HHT and he has the best voicemails. Literally, I called him the other day when he, he was on vacation and his voicemail said something to the effect of, I know you think I'm screening my calls, but trust me, I'm not. I'm actually on vacation. Please leave me a voicemail and I will get back to you in a week and a half. And if you can't handle this right now, it's just a fireplace, not a liver transplant. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I'm going to watch this with my wife and it's going to be a little drinking game. Every time you say the name Tim Rethlake, we're going to take a drink. <laughs> we, could, we could make it a real fun night. <laughs> you texted me the other night and you said it was going to be a drinking game. Every time I say I love it, now, now I'm self-conscious about it. <laughs> That's true. No, you did a good – yeah, well, you haven't said that a whole lot, but – um, I really do appreciate you having me on, Tim. Uh, I think what you're doing, not only in the fireplace industry, but in the sales industry period, is uh, incredible for a, a gentleman of your age. Um, and given your background with rock punk and stuff, I mean, I'm just blown away by where you're at in life right now. Oh, thanks, dude. I mean, honestly, like, 
it's so funny when we met, like we instantly connected and I was like, this guy gets it. And like, he's thinking, <laughs> he is thinking big things. Like I, I don't joke around when I say that. Like, I think that, I think that you're doing really good things. And honestly, this has been the thing of the podcast is as much as it gives benefit to people that listen to it. I feel so selfish that I feel like I've gotten more out of it than anybody else. I feel like I walk away thinking, holy cow, I am rethinking my own philosophies. I'm rethinking mm-hmm. my own processes and I'm solidifying them because I'm forced to talk about it. And, and I've just found this personally that the best way to understand something is to teach it. I think it was Einstein that talked about if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it enough. Sure. How do you remember all that? I mean, your retention level is unbelievable, dude. I, I can't read and remember a, a, a quote just like that. That's that's phenomenal to me. You know, I, I can't think do that. It, I think it goes back to discipline. So for me, daily regimen of being in the scriptures every morning yeah. of reading business books, and 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 I work on like in particular, I work on scripture memory a lot. So I'm actively memorizing the scriptures, and that's helped me a lot. So the whole thing is like if you can read something and memorize it, you retain it inside of you. And it literally comes up at the most random moments when you never expect it because you've done the hard work of memorizing it and retaining it. So mm-hmm. I would go back to the fact that I'm not perfect at it, but because I've got a rhythm every day of reading, of actively trying to memorize and of retaining that, it benefits me when I'm reading a business book that sure. I've, I've built some of the disciplines into my life to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I was a huge um, goal setter in an earlier part of my life. And I've kind of got off that track a little bit just because of, uh, well, several factors. But anyway, I was big into a routine. And uh, in a previous life, I was a, a, a residential framer. So all I did was frame projects, housing, multifamily. And it was very regimented because obviously you did the same thing every day, Absolutely. just on a different scale. Um, but lately, I've fallen into this little trap of we've gotten super busy. We're short on help. So I've been coming in earlier and staying later. And that's really messed up my routine, if you will. Uh, not only my work routine, but my life routine as well. Um, and that's something I'm going to strive to work on. But I just, I, I think it's, I get a, it's just a breath of fresh air to listen to you and you tell us about how to have that regiment and how to do that same thing every day. And obviously it's working for you. Well, and I would say I'm not perfect at it. So in particular for me, the last three months, there's been a lot of stuff going on in my life where in the last three months, my disciplines have not been as tight as I would normally like them to be in a perfect world. And I think it's okay mm-hmm. to give yourself grace. And that's that's a, a big thing I want to make super clear is, you know, I am all in on discipline. I'm all in on giving yourself a framework for success, but I'm not legalistic about it. I mean, if I miss running for a week, so what? I just, I, I, okay. The next week I get, I get back on the, I get back on the wagon. Like that's what I keep saying, but it's been 12 years, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it's, if it's been 12 years, I think we got to have a, have a conversation about what's, what's really important to you, you know, but, but I think that you got to give yourself, that's you got to give yourself grace. And I think that for me, I I just think it goes back to, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Zig Ziglar, Mm -hmm. right? So famous for saying that. And it's the truth. And I think that, I think that open-handed, regiments create opportunity. If you can be, you know, you, you give yourself regiments and they're stringent to be able to get the most out of yourself, but you hold them with an open hand where, Hey, if I miss it for a couple days, that's okay. But I'm, but I got to reevaluate. Do I actually want this? And if I actually want it, I better jump back on my disciplines. Right. And that's, that's super, super tough in any 
any setting, but we struggle with it being a family business. And obviously my dad sits four offices down from me, my uncle and brother are in between him. And the idea of letting a customer down or not getting something back in a timely manner, that's what's just my crucible right now. I mean, um, you can't get away from it. Number one, uh, you always feel like you have to answer that phone call. You always feel like you have to meet that customer after hours, or you always feel like you got to do that certain thing for an employee. Um, and man, we just, we've just been fighting that lately. Um, and that's been something that we're going to strive to work on is saying no, or maybe having a little better divide between, Hey, this is business life. This is personal life. Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to expectations. I, I really do. Expectations yeah. of to the employees, this is what you can expect from me and this is what you can't. Same thing to customers. I mean, with customers, it's it's so demanding. I mean, I'm going to go back to Tim Rethlick, but he always talks about you should be spending your time with the customers who deserve it, not the customers who demand it. And that's so true And that we can get so hungry to chase every customer not realizing that there are some opportunities that it'd be better if we didn't pursue. And, right. you know, it's like that old Chinese proverb of the man who chases two birds ends up with none. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. So so I, I just would go back to expectations. What are the expectations set of what customers can expect from you? And what can you expect from them? And you just be super honest that in order for it to be a win-win, which is what we want, these are going to be the guidelines. And We'll stick to our end if you guys stick to your end, but we're not going to be able to do anything besides that because this is what we've committed to in order for our business to be able to be successful and continue to support you. Right. No, I'd agree. And we, we definitely are teaching that a little bit here now too as far as let's not go out and try to tackle every large buffalo builder, we call them. Let's go after the foxes and the coyotes first um, or go after the guy we've got a bunch of business with already, see what more we can give him. There you, you go. Know, the guy and that that already believes in our system. You know, and that's what I think about for you guys is because you can handle so much of the job. I'd imagine there's a ton of equity in saying, you know what, this year we are going to be less focused on new customers and let's let's really work on driving the wallet share of the existing customers we have because your product line is so diverse. Very well put. Yeah, I know I'd agree. Um, we just this last month opened our own electrical department. Um, so we're able to, uh, provide electrical services, which we've never been able to do before. And it just ties in so nicely with our plumbing and heating services. Um, something again, we thought of, Hey, labor short, we've already gotten the plumbing and heating aspect of it. Uh, let's go ahead and try to get the electrical aspect of it as well. Yeah. So, and I totally agree. If you got plumbing and HVAC and electrical, I'm telling you, man, you are this <laughs> close to doing fireplaces. It is. It is just that close. I need you to come down and do a sales presentation for our team. Done. <laughs> you know, you're going to conquer this fireplace thing and then you're going to have to come down and do the LBM stuff. <laughs> well, Clay, this has been an amazing conversation. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm honored that you would want to turn the tables on me and start grilling, <laughs> grilling me with questions. Thank you for doing that. Well, I appreciate having me on here. I appreciate your insight as always, Tim. Yeah. I know that the industry is going to get a lot out of it. And I'm telling you, I think you're going to start getting some emails from people telling you to start selling fireplaces. I'm, I'm going to literally put your email in the show notes. And everybody yes, listening please. to this, email Clay if you think that he needs to start selling fireplaces out in Marcus, Iowa. There we go. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate the time. It's been an honor I having too. you. And, and I love the friendship, man. This is just an awesome yep. thing that we have. I totally agree, Tim. Look forward to seeing you again. All right. Take it easy. Bet. 
Well, I hope you guys got some serious value out of that conversation. I thought it was awesome getting a chance to chat with Clay. And the questions that Clay's asking are really good questions. And, and I hope you pay attention to that because the way that he's thinking is is on a, a different level than a lot of folks are. I mean, it's super clear that he's somebody that's pushing for answers. He's not settling for what's easy. And he's willing to do the hard work to get to where he needs to go. So, Clay, I really appreciate you, man. I thought that it was just a terrific time getting a chance to answer that. Now, if you guys have questions as well, we do have a Q&A episode that's going to be coming up. And you can email those questions in to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. You know, I think if there's one thing to take away from this, it's that leading a business is not easy. You know, our goal is to make it easy for customers and our goal is to serve our team members, but that's actually ridiculously hard to do. And it doesn't matter if you're selling fireplaces or sheetrock or kitchen cabinets or whatever the product is, serving other people that work on your team is difficult. But I'm telling you, it's a worthy task that is worth pushing into. So I hope that today's episode was valuable for you. Hopefully you are able to take the blessing that you've been given and pour it out for the people that are around you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, And the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.